Open your Bible now with me, please, to the book of Colossians, where we have been for the past couple of months. We're doing a study of the book of Colossians right now called Christ, or rather, Gospel-Centered Living. It is Christ-centered, but the title is Gospel-Centered Living. And today we come to Colossians chapter 3, where we continue to look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about, about family life. Um, how How are Christians supposed to conduct their family life? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Colossians 3.18 at God's directive to wives in marriage. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Colossians 3.19 at God's directive to husbands. And today we're going to look at verses 20 and 21 and see what the parenting relationship with parents and children ought to look like in the Christian home. Now, I realize that not everybody I'm speaking to today is, is a parent of children, I realize that not all of you are married, but here is the spirit in which we're going to be looking at this passage today. The spirit is that many of you will one day have kids. Um, Many of you have already had kids, and they're up and gone, perhaps, out of your home. Um, So how are you who are not actively in the trenches right now being a parent, how are you supposed to see this passage? Well, as a way of preparing for the future would be one way. As a way of supporting our current parents is another way, because if you know what they're up against, you can better help them. And then also, there is a bigger picture going on here in Colossians 3, 19, 20, and 21, and that is that it's not only about human parents and human kids, it's about God's relationship with human beings, how He is our Father, and you'll see that a little bit later on. But the text is Colossians 3, beginning in verse 20 and going through verse 21. Listen carefully to God's Word. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. The Word of the Lord. I want to talk particularly today to you who are moms and dads. Children, there's going to be some uh, application to you as well. I'm sure you love verse 20. Right, kids? Obey your parents. That's a sermon all in itself. But I'm going to mostly gear what I say today, because time is somewhat short, to verse 21, to moms and dads. And I begin with a question. Fathers and mothers in our church, what is the goal when it comes to your parenting What are you trying to accomplish? Some of you are thinking, my goal is survival. That's it. (laughs) And that that may be an honest response, but I suspect that many of you are saying, my goal in my rearing of my children is that they be happy. That's my goal. I want to make happy kids. And I'm going to call that child centered parenting. It's permissive parenting. It's indulgent parenting because the focus is on what the child wants. And so, because this parent is very anxious to make the child happy, he or she caters to the child's every wish, meets the child's every demand, tries to make the child as comfortable and happy as possible, doesn't want that child to have any problems at all. Every need is met, every wish fulfilled, but ironically, Unless God's grace intervenes, that style of parenting breeds a future generation of lazy adults who are unhappy, irresponsible, and self-absorbed. So we're not going to make that our goal. 
And then there may be another group of parents, and this would be more common within Christian circles, who would say, no, I, it's not to make my child happy. I want to make my child holy. My goal is their holiness. Let's call that behavior-centered parenting. It's moralistic parenting because the focus is on how the child behaves, how the child obeys the rules. And so, because this is the parent's focus, he or she spends a significant amount of time controlling this child, lecturing the child, shaming the child, yelling, screaming, punishing the child when he or she disobeys. And ironically, the truth is that apart from God's intervening grace, that style of parenting breeds a future generation of, I think, angry adults who are either depressed because they didn't make the cut, they couldn't do it, or they're proud and self-righteous because they did. So that's not our goal either, not as Christians. Parents, your goal, if you're a believer in Jesus and you want to rear your child in the spirit of Colossians 3.21, your goal is neither to make your kids happy nor holy. The truth of the matter is you can do neither. You're not responsible nor able to make them holy or happy. No, the goal that God calls you to, the goal of your life as a mom or a dad, is to help your child develop a heart for God. That's the best way I can put it. Your goal is to help your child develop a heart for God. And that's gospel-centered parenting. That's the goal to which God calls us. Gospel-centered parenting. The focus is neither on the child's happiness nor on his or her holiness. The focus is here, on the heart. Now, it's not that the parent doesn't care about the child's happiness. He does. It's not that the parent does not give a thought to the child's behavior. Of course, she does. But the gospel-centered parent understands that true happiness comes from the heart. And true holiness begins at the heart level with heart change. Luke 6, Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, behavior issues forth from the heart. Proverbs 4 says that the heart is the wellspring of life. Everything that you see in our lives actually goes back to the heart. So gospel-centered parenting with its focus on the heart of the child breeds a future generation with God's help of adults who are happy but not self-centered and holy but are not self-righteous or sullen. So that's a pretty high calling, but with God's help and blessing, we can do it. The question is how? How are we to be gospel-centered mothers and fathers? And how, if God so provides one day, can you be a gospel-centered mother or father? Well, let's talk first about what not to do, and then we'll talk about what to do. Because Colossians 3.21 tells us what not to do. It's very clear. It says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Notice it doesn't say they may be, they will be. If you act as a mom or dad in such a way as to make your child embittered, they will be discouraged. They won't be fruitful believers and followers of Jesus unless God really does a work of grace in their hearts. Now, you might ask, first of all, why does Paul say fathers instead of fathers and mothers? You know, some of you women may feel discriminated against here. You're a, you're a parent too. Why doesn't Paul say 
Fathers and mothers do not embitter your children. Well, a couple of reasons come to mind. One reason that might spring into your mind is that men are more likely to be harsh with children, more likely to embitter them than mothers are. After all, up in verse 19, it's talking to husbands and it says, don't be harsh with your wife. So the thinking is, if the man is more harsh with, or if a husband is likely to be the harsh one, then the father is more likely to be the harsh one with their children. I don't really buy that because I've, I've met a lot of, uh, of mothers. I know a lot of stories about mothers who embitter their children. So I don't think that's the key there. I believe instead the real reason why Paul says fathers don't do it is that the father is to be the head of the home. Men, here God is saying, take heed. If you are a man, if you're a father, God is speaking to you particularly here, asking you to own your primary responsibility to raise sons and daughters who love and follow after God. The father is the one accountable for the health, the overall climate of the home. The father is the one. In my own family, I know that I'm accountable to God, not my wife Susie, in this, in this regard. I am the overall one God's looking to. He's delegated to me. He's delegated to you men. The overall responsibility. We've got to take that very seriously. Now, having said that, Parenting, you, mu- you need to remember, is a shared partnership between the husband and wife. After all, verse 20 does not say children obey your fathers. It does say children obey your parents. And so parenting is a partnership of husband and wife, the point being here merely that fathers really have the lion's share of the, of the accountability here. And so men, let's particularly pay attention to what God is saying to us this morning. I say it's a partnership because sometimes in homes you find that one parent tends toward the child-centered extreme and the other parent tends toward the behavior-centered extreme. And so you have one parent who is permissive and one parent who is overly strict. And that's a scenario for disaster for the kid. It confuses the child. Mom and dad, you've got to be on the same page. You need to talk together and share the same philosophy in your parenting style so that you won't confuse your child and he or she will end up playing you off against each other. We've, I'm sure, all experienced that from time to time. So let's move on from just this main idea that the father is the main one responsible, but it's a shared partnership to now the main point of this passage. What does God call parents not to do? He says, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. What does that mean? The word embitter means to provoke to anger. It means to stir up the emotions or to irritate or make resentful. There's an interesting uh, little side note. Outside the Bible, that word embitter is used to, uh, to blow upon a spark using a bellows so that the spark gains strength and then pretty soon it sets something ablaze. And so what God is saying here to you as a parent is to avoid doing whatever you can do to, uh, say that again, avoid doing those things that set your children off. Avoid doing those things that push them over the edge. Avoid doing things that make them snap. Otherwise, Paul says, they will become discouraged. And the word discouraged means dispirited. It means to lose heart. It means to be broken in spirit. And that is not our goal in parenting. 
We might want to see that will broken. Earlier, Jonathan referred to being broken before God. All of us need brokenness that way. But not to crush the spirit of the child. That's what discouragement means. Don't be like a bellows, you know, blowing upon the spark that sets your kids off, that causes them to be resentful and angry and resigned or depressed. Now, obviously, we're going to blow it sometimes. Obviously, we're going to make those, those mistakes as moms and dads, and we need to actually repent before our children when we do. But the overall spirit here is not to settle into a style of parenting that eventually over time wears down your child and crushes their little hearts. You might want to compare a child to a rubber band. You know, here's a rubber band. And just like this rubber band, kids are very resilient. They can bounce back, you know, when you blow it, when they make a mistake, they can bounce back and things like that. They can smile and bounce along and look like everything's okay. But inside, if we over and over and over again provoke them to anger, eventually one day, ow, they'll snap. It'll hurt. (laughs) The anger has to go someplace. The anger has to go someplace, either toward you, toward other people, or inward toward themselves. You don't want to be responsible for embittering your children. Now, I can think of a couple of ways. There are many, I'm sure, but a couple of ways that moms and dads can do this to their children, embitter them and discourage them. One way is by expecting too much of them. Expecting too much of your children can embitter your children. Remember what I said earlier about behavior-centered parenting? We can, if we're not careful, raise the bar up so high and put our standards up so high that our children cannot possibly reach them. You know what I'm talking about when we get mad at our little boy for spilling milk at the table or not cleaning up his room as well as he might. Or we get upset at our daughter when she brings home a B instead of an A. When last report card, it was a C. We're heavy on reprimands and light on praise sometimes, aren't we? And, and isn't it, parents, isn't it hypocritical of us at times when we act this way toward our children? When we set the bar up so high and get so disappointed at them? Because when it comes to God's commands for us, we believe in grace. You know, we complain about God's commands, we presume upon His forgiveness, we compromise, we cut corners, and then we know that God loves us anyway. But then when it comes to our children, we expect immediate, scrupulous, complete, and cheerful obedience. Expecting too much of our kids can make them snap. But the opposite mistake can be made and be just as discouraging to children as this one. And that is when we expect too little of our kids. Realize that you can embitter your children by expecting too little of them. Now that may seem strange, but kids need you to be their parents and not their friends. Have you realized that yet? They need you to be their mom, not their friend. Their dad, not their friend. They want you to lay down the law. They want you to enforce it when it's broken. Children, you think I'm lying, don't you? But you do. You need us as parents to be parents. They need rules. They can't handle it when you don't care how they behave. When you don't respond, when you let things go. They can't handle that. 
Uh, can I sound like an old guy for a few minutes? I'm an empty nester now, but I've got to say that I think this is the mistake many young parents are making these days, expecting way too little of their children. We're living in a very child-centered age. You know, when I was a kid, oh boy, I really do sound old now, don't I? When I was a kid, what were we supposed to do? We were supposed to be seen and not heard. And even better, not seen, not heard. You know, really, that's kind of the way it was. And I'm not defending that. That was wrong. It wasn't right. But now, it's like the tables have turned. The kids seem to be in charge, and the parents are supposed to be at their beck and call. I know a lot of parents that have no social life. They don't go out together on dates. They don't go to small group meetings. They don't go to, uh, to church events and such. They're so busy carting their kids to soccer and baseball and piano lessons and school activities and private tutoring and so on and so forth that there's no time left for home life or church life. The real priorities of every single human heart. These parents are so broke they can't afford a babysitter. They're so tired they have nothing left for each other. Mom and Dad, I'm, I'm mainly calling you to be in charge. Be in charge. You've heard the expression, man up. Mom up. Dad up. Verse 20 of our text says, Children, obey your parents in everything. Here's the deal. If your child grows up disobeying you and knowing that he or she can, how will you expect him or her to obey God? How will you expect him or her to have a proper, healthy appreciation for authority when you have none? And when you don't exert your God-given authority in your home over your children, over their attitudes, over their speech, over their behavior. If you let your kids be the center of your universe, if you cater to their every desire and give in to their every want, how in the world will they be able to understand, much less obey, Jesus, when he says to pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Mom and dad, your children are learning right now. And I'm primarily talking to you who have the little ones, the, the uh, elementary ones, the middle school ones, the high school ones. I know many of you have children that are up and gone, but your children are learning right now what it is to become a Christian and to live as a Christian. They're watching. They're learning every moment. And believe it or not, you actually discourage your children when you don't expect enough from them. Now, I want to say just real quickly uh, a comment about the fact that we value children in this church and ask that kids grade three and up be in worship. And you know what? I'm glad there are many of them right here, right now. And I'm so glad. I'm so proud of you. It's to the rest of you that I want to speak. Don't you dare get irritated and annoyed when kids make noise in our worship service because they belong here and they're part of the family. And so if we're going to welcome them like Jesus did, Jesus said, don't forbid the little children to come to me. Let them come. Let's not be like those disciples who said, wait a second, this is an adult activity. If you need to get up and walk around with your kid, if you need to stretch, if they need to play, if they need to bring toys... So be it. I'm just really proud of you parents and kids. 
for seeing the importance of worship. And I want to urge those of you, all of you with children, to get your child ready and used to worshiping together. It's just really, really important. Well, we've seen what you're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to be, as parents, the ones who embitter and discourage our children. So what are we to do? Well, in a word, as I said earlier, gospel-centered parenting means to keep your focus not on the child's wishes, comfort, desires, nor even on his behavior, but rather keep your focus on his heart on her heart. If I could recommend one book on parenting, it would be this one right here called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Dr. Ted Tripp. All of you parents need to own a copy of that book and read it. If you've never read it before, please read it. It's a great book and it really says a whole lot more than I can do in, you know, a 20, 25 minute sermon. So I want to highly recommend Shepherding a Child's Heart because he says everything that I wish I could say in this one message. But if I could boil it down to two things, what does it mean? To, what does it look like to have a gospel-centered parenting style? I would say these two things, and I get them from Colossians three. Understand that when you read the Bible, you can't just pull a verse out of context. Every verse you see in the Bible is informed by and informs the other verses around it. And so as I was studying Colossians 3.21, I thought, how does some of the other verses in Colossians 3 actually teach us how to do Colossians 3.21? And so two ways that gospel-centered parenting is to show up in your life. First of all, it means to give abundant grace to your child. Unlike the behavior-centered approach that comes down on, clamps down on the child, you need to give abundant grace to your child and identify with him. Hear me out. Identify with your child as a fellow sinner. Look with me at verses 12 through 14 of Colossians 3. Paul says, Therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, that is abundant grace. And if you're going to be a parent who gives uh, gospel-centered parenting to your child, you need to make sure that you're following verses 12 through 14. Give abundant grace to your child. What does that look like? What does that look like? Let's say that he or she just really misbehaves, disobeys, breaks a rule, what have you. Remember that out of the heart comes the behavior. And so what you do when you give abundant grace is that you identify yourself with this child and you try to help the child look at his or her heart. You come up to the child after this misbehavior and instead of just coming down on him, you talk to him, you communicate, you ask questions. You say, what's going on? What's in the heart? What are you trying to say by that misbehavior? What are you wanting? My, my daughter Rebecca is a master at this with her, her son Eben. Eben just misbehaves all the time. Eben, don't listen to that. And what Rebecca does so well is takes him aside 
and begins to look in his heart and helps him look inside his own heart. What are you feeling right now? What are you upset about? Is there something you're not telling me? Can you use words to get what you want from your sister instead of hitting her? That's abundant grace. Maybe you think he doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. Do you? Abundant grace to your child. You identify with him as a fellow sinner. Then, secondly, you give appropriate discipline to your child. That's the second half of this two-sided coin. Abundant grace, appropriate discipline. Look at verse 16 of Colossians 3, where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish. That word admonish means warn or rebuke or instruct. It means you set clear, realistic limits and enforce them every time they're broken with a swift, reasonable consequence. It means when you see your child heading down the wrong path, say something. When you see something wrong in his or her life, don't ignore it. When it's unacceptable, don't let it go. Don't be like Eli. Eli was a priest in the Old Testament during the days of Samuel. And we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. So appropriate discipline is very important. But you don't do it in a preachy way. You don't harp just about what he did wrong or she did wrong. You help your child understand why she did what she did. And finally, you help your child repent and believe the gospel. See, the sin in their life is a sign that they need to turn from it and turn to Christ and believe the gospel, just like you and I have to do each and every day. In short, what you and I must do as parents is give our kids a balance of love and discipline, love that expects good behavior and discipline saturated with grace when the standard is not met. Isn't that exactly how God parents us? In fact, maybe that's why God addresses Colossians 3.21 to fathers. To point us to the Father. God is the perfect Father. He loves us. He shepherds our hearts. He loves us just the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. And so He gives us a perfect balance of grace and discipline. How do I know that? I know that because of the cross. On the cross, we see grace and discipline both perfectly. We see grace because Jesus Christ took our sins upon Himself and gave us His righteousness. And we see discipline because what God did was He punished His Son for the sins you and I have committed. There's justice and yet there's grace at one and the same time. And every day, if you're a believer in Jesus, God is giving you love and discipline. He disciplines those He loves, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12. And so we come to the table today because we want His love and we appreciate His discipline. 